KWVA. 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 There are nearly 20 million refugees worldwide fleeing terror, war, violence, and political and religious persecution. Refugees admitted to permanently resettle in the U.S. have been passed through multiple levels of rigorous screening and security clearance. They want what we all want, peace, security, and freedom from fear. Refugees are survivors, families, and no different from us. It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at EmbraceRefugees.org. Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quackmack. I like talking talking sports. Quackmack! What? Quackmack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. Good evening and welcome into the KWVA studio here on 88.1. My name is Saul Galvan. Joined alongside Jonah Bruneau and Liam Baker for this Tuesday edition of Quack Smack. We got a jam-packed show going, a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about some Oregon football, playing the Pac-12 Championship this weekend, as well as Oregon Volleyball. They're hosting regionals this weekend on Thursday and Friday. And then some college football rankings. Before we get into that, gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty cold, not going to lie. It's uh, I'm kind of getting tired of the cold. It, it's, it was refreshing in the first couple of weeks, back in like October, towards the end of October, when it was starting to cool off, you know. Summer's out in with fall, now getting into winter pretty soon. But I don't know. It's been like what two straight weeks of twenty degree weather. It feels yeah. Like. It's, it's we're we're getting into that. It's that, a little too much. I don't know. I feel we're getting into that ready. point now where the temperatures are just dropping every day. It's They're crazy. you know yeah. I, I I checked the weather this morning. It was, it was sunny out. I was like, oh, I'm going to class. I'm, I could put shorts on. I checked yeah. the weather. Thirty five degrees. Sweatpants, sweatshirt, jacket. Like it's it's too cold for me. I'm missing my California weather right now. See that's Same. see that's really for me the transition that always takes place. It's not really when the seasons change from fall to winter. It's when you go from wearing shorts to sweatpants or just regular pants in general. Hey, I I, I wore shorts today. I'll feel proud now. I'll I'll. But were you cold? I'm always though? no. Okay, here's my thing. I my legs if they're cold, I don't really notice. It doesn't bother me. It's more my like face and my upper body is where like if i'm cold it like irritates me but if my legs i'm so used to wearing shorts like back home in california 90 percent of the time of the year i'm wearing shorts so it's just it's just who i am that point yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree california you can wear shorts all the time not in oregon <laughs> yeah. yeah well like i said we got a jam-packed show we got a lot to talk about but first uh Filling in for Nat Uretsky today. He's feeling under the weather. Hope he gets better. But he always does the question of the day. Something that I love and the reason I love being on the show so much. So I figured we keep it rolling here. And, uh, you know, this is a question I thought of today. You know, we're, we're in the midst of the holiday season in between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving break, by the Thank way. You. And Thank you. And, you know, Christmas, we're only a couple weeks away. Not that far. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good thing to look forward to. And I think a common question, if you guys would agree with me, is what – is better Christmas or Thanksgiving? I know that's the the common question that a lot of people like to ask around this time of the year, but I want it to be a little unique with this question of the day, and I ask a question that I don't think gets asked a lot, really, and that is not what holiday is better, Christmas or Thanksgiving, but what day after is better, Christmas or Thanksgiving? So, like, for example, what is better, the day after Thanksgiving or the day after Christmas? Well. The day after Thanksgiving is known as like Black Friday. Exactly. There's no after Christmas, it's nothing. It's just. Oh, but that's the thing. It's, it's like Christmas. I I feel like maybe it's more maybe not even just the day, but the time period because obviously Thanksgiving you still got the weekend to kind of recover from Thursday, whereas Christmas sometimes you take a couple days off after and until New Year's. So really, I mean, what what time period is kind of better? The time period after Thanksgiving or the time period after Christmas? In your guys' opinion, I, I think. I think after Thanksgiving, for a couple of reasons. One, again, like Black Friday, I mentioned that. A lot of people 
lot of people like live for Black Friday still, even this day of age of online shopping. They still love going out on Black Friday, waking up before the sun rises. But also I think it's you, you wake up, it's after Thanksgiving, and you look forward to now, all right, let's get all the Christmas decorations out. Let's start decorating today. Put on Christmas Vacation and Home Alone on the TV. <laughs> Play that Nat King Cole and Charlie Brown music. You know, after Christmas, it's, oh, well, we got to start taking down the decorations soon. Or, all right, the gift-giving season's over. What do we what do we do now? New Year's, I guess, and wait for New Year's. I don't know. I feel like the vibes after Thanksgiving, it's like more. You're just getting deeper, deeper into holiday season. That's Festive, just, yeah, I me. like that. Yeah. Liam, what about you? I think I would agree for a slightly different reason. I like the the, the leftovers after Thanksgiving, and you know, yeah. I, I the food at Thanksgiving is one of my favorite parts, and having that on Friday, Saturday after is also great. And I think another great thing about the few days after Thanksgiving is it's, it's rivalry week in college football. And there's that's true. You that's just very sit down true. on the couch on Thursday, watch some NFL Friday, some great games, Saturday, Sunday, you get, it's got like football for four straight days. It's great times. You get to hang out with your family and, you know, it's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a good point. I think for me, I would have to go the opposite. You guys, I think that the time period after Christmas is just one of a kind because Really, a lot of people, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we're not in school. We have that week off in between Christmas and, and New Year's for when we were growing up. But obviously, most people would take the week off, if anything. And you just have this week of just, you know, you could chill with family, with friends. You just make plans during the day. It's almost like kind of that week during the summer where nothing's going on. And you just make those those oh. plans during the week to just do anything you want because no yeah. one's really, you know, busy with work or anything that's a fair point it's like a it's like a mini summer just a lot colder and just a lot colder i mean it's something if you're in california i mean I, yeah you, know, you could kind of california pretend you it's can summer. still go golf and be dry out there oh man in, in december 26th so i'm missing it i'm already ready I for am, april i'm ready i'm ready see all right so i go back home the 15th of december and i'll come back to eugene on the 28th i believe but that two weeks you best believe I'm hitting the golf course. I'm going to the beach. Every day. I'm going to go body surfing, that's, bodyboarding. That's the life right there. I can't wait. Oh, man. I, miss, I need it. I need my sun. Exactly. Well, actually, I need my warm sun. Cause yeah. we, it's been sunny here the last couple of days, but like it's not. I can still see my breath any time of the day. It's too cold. I, I would agree. I think you know I'm going back to California for a little bit of a winter break, but also going to London. So Ooh, going, going back to go. that cold weather, London, it's going to be a, <laughs> I know, a different experience. I'm really excited to go there for the first time, but. Definitely going to try to fight, fit in some of that, you know, warm California winters because I'm going to miss it. You got family yeah. there or something? No, we're just going for vacation. Just we're, we're going for 10 days, um, Get flying back on Christmas Day. So you know, so, nice, so you'll nice. be there for Christmas Eve? Yeah. Going go to go to a, a soccer game, which I'm excited for. And, you know, it should be a just – I've heard London's fantastic in the winter, so it should be fun. Mm, yeah. Nice. No, that should be a lot of fun. Well, you know who's going to be in the warm weather this weekend? It's going to be Oregon football and their fans. A huge, huge win last week, last Friday, for example, in Corvallis. Or, sorry, not in Corvallis. Against right here. Oregon State in Autzen Stadium. Uh, let's recap this game a little bit. So, the last time these, te- these two teams played, uh, it was in Corvallis. That's what I meant to say the first time. Oregon was fighting for a spot in the Pac-12 championship as well as a college football playoff, similar to what they were fighting for this past weekend. The Ducks, they lost 34-38. to Knicks? was not healthy. He hurt his ankle against Washington a couple weeks before, and he was really not the Bo Nix that he a lot of you know analytics had him as when he came to Oregon last year. And also, too, he was playing really well before the Washington game, but after that, he just was not the same quarterback that he usually is. Oregon allowed 21 an- unanswered points in the fourth quarter, all rushing. The rushing defense was nowhere to be found in that game. But this time around, different outcome, different emotions, just a dominant game for Oregon. They won 31-7 to was the final score over, over Oregon State. It was the final time that these that those two teams play each other under the Pac-12. Obviously, future matchups are unknown, but as of right now, that was the last time that those two teams played in conference. Uh, for me, it was a complete game. Probably one of the better complete games the Ducks have played this season. Take a look at the offense. 31 points. Bo Nix, 367 yards, two TDs, and a rushing TD. He did really well at controlling the ball. Jordan James, Bucky Irving, and Bo Nix, all 113 combined rushing yards. Tez Johnson had a nice day, 137 yards, 11 receptions. Troy Franklin, 128 yards, 9 receptions, and a TD. And, I mean, 
how about a credit to the offensive line, too? No sacks allowed, only one quarterback hurry, so a huge, huge day for the offensive line. They've really been stepping it up and protecting their quarterback. And then for the defense, one sack, it was Mateo Uigalele. He just, I mean, he sacked his brother. We'll talk about that in a minute. Nine quarterback hurries, one interception, and five broken up passes. So, I mean, really, like I said, it was a complete game. But for you guys to start off this kind of recap before we get into the Pac-12 championship, what was the difference in the game versus the Beavers? Uh, this game, I mean, I think the Beavers did a pretty good job holding the Oregon run game in check. Uh, you know, they held Bucky to just 41 yards. Jordan James had 43 yards. They had a couple chunk carries uh, that helped that average. But overall, I think they did a pretty good job. I think all, all this game falls to Bo Nix once again. And he just had a stellar performance, 33 of 40 through the air. Um, of course, I, you know, drive of the season, you could maybe say, because it really changed the vibe of the entire game, was just before halftime uh, when Bo Nix in 54 seconds goes – from his own 20 or 25-yard line, I believe it was 25, and he goes down the field in five plays and scores a touchdown to go up, go into halftime up two possessions instead of one. Uh, you got to think that was a huge uh, momentum shift going into halftime where it, it shifted in the Beavers' way when they got that score with 54 seconds, and then Oregon just answers and just completely takes that momentum away from them and brings it back to the ball in their court going into halftime. So... Uh, that was the biggest moment of the night. Bo Nix was in control once again, um, and he just continues to to boost his Heisman race. Yeah, I want to talk about that drive that he had at the end of the half. <clears throat> you know, Cameron Lewis missed that field goal. Mm-hmm. Oregon State goes down. They they drive. It's a it's a seven point game. Oregon State's gonna get the ball at a half. You know, someone was in the student section. You could really feel the nervous energy in the stadium. Kind of Oregon had dominated the entire first half. Yeah. They were only leading by seven. It, I, You didn't want to say you had kind of remembering last year what happened, but that drive, that touchdown to Franklin, where Bonix, you know, went out to his right, threw, threw across the field, and really felt like it ended the game right there. The game obviously yeah. wasn't over, but it felt like Oregon State needed to make a stop there, and that's a touchdown pass that, I mean, was one of the better ones you've seen all season. And it felt like the game was just over from there. Oregon had all the momentum. They went into half. Didn't give up a touchdown in the second half, didn't get any points. And and ultimately, it was a fairly, you know, easy win, if you can call that one, you know, based on the score and how they played. Yeah, I got to agree. I mean, I think that drive was huge. And obviously, because Oregon was in pretty, you know, they were in good control up to that point. But obviously, you know, a lot of the fans were thinking, okay, they're going to go into halftime. They're not going to be able to score. You know, they have to go pretty much – 75 yards to try to get a touchdown before the end of the half. It was only about 40 seconds left. So a lot of people were just assuming, oh, they're going to try to go for a field goal, try to get up, try to get some more points for halftime. Because Oregon State got the ball in the second half, which was going to be huge, you know, had Oregon probably not gotten the touchdown there. But Bo Nix, he just made an incredible throw across body. I, I still look at the replay today, and, I, I mean, you compare that throw to, like, Patrick Mahomes or some, yeah. of, some of the young NFL quarterbacks, the throw that he made, cross body, on the run, to Franklin in his arms, and then obviously Franklin had to make a little bit of a move to get in the end zone. But, yeah, I agree. That that was just a big, big drive, and I really think that defines Oregon right there. You know, they could have just ran the ball, tried to get a field goal, get some more points, but no, they said, we're going to take a deep shot, we're going to go for a touchdown, and, and it worked off for them. The risk paid off, and it really, I think like you said, Liam, the game was pretty much over for them because Oregon State shut out the entire second half. So you could tell that the life was just taken out of the Beavers once Bo Nix threw that pass to Troy Franklin. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I think you mentioned that you know they maybe just think about going to field goal there at the end of the half, only 54 seconds. I think that's not really like we expect them to get touchdowns with those drives. Last week against Arizona State, they had a minute and six, minute and six seconds, went 98 yards, scored a touchdown, made it 42-0. to zero. I think Oregon needs to get touchdowns. I, I don't trust Cam Lewis to make field goals. He missed a 34-yarder against Oregon State. I think they're really in that mindset is we need to score touchdowns, and that's really affecting their play calling and making them a lot more aggressive. Well, so, and, you know, Coach Dan Lenny, he's been, you know, praised and also, uh, you know, <laughs> criticized for his play calling, his aggressive play calling ever since he got here uh, last year. And but he addressed it in the media center after the game, and where uh, you know he talked about he, he called timeout on defense when Oregon State was driving late in that second half, right before they scored. 
he had two, uh, if I remember correctly, he still had two timeouts in his pocket when Oregon got the ball back with 54 seconds, uh, and they were able to drive down and score. Uh, and he mentioned that, you know, he he had that mindset of I'm going to go score. I want the ball back. I want to go score, or at least try to score. And he's got the best, one of the best quarterbacks, top two quarterbacks in the whole nation that can lead him down and go do it. Um, and that's where that's a case scenario where he that's just smart coaching. That's just Coach Dan Lenning. That's not even really being aggressive. It's just being smart. And he had three timeouts. Might as well use them. Half's about to end. He used them perfectly. Um, and it was just all, all around uh, a perfect execution. Yeah, I, I mean, Dan Lenning has been known to be an aggressive coach. I think he's definitely proven that this year. He's do, He did it a lot against Washington. They took a lot of risk, which some of them paid off. Some of them didn't, though. There were a lot of questionable calls that he made on, you know, fourth down to go for it instead of just punting it away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's Dan Lanning. I think that's this Oregon football team is that they're really aggressive. That's pretty much been their theme all year. They're going to go for it on fourth down. They're going to try to score even though they have, like, 30 seconds left and they don't, they have to go 75 yards. They just keep – they just want to keep pounding on points as much as they can. And I think that's really the mentality that they had need to go into this game against Washington. And also, if they get into the college football playoff – Georgia, you're going to have to score points right away. Michigan, you're going to have to score points right away. Whoever's in the number three spot, it's probably going to be either Florida State or Oregon. You know, you never know at this point. But whoever you go against, you need to get ahead quick, and you need to score touchdowns. Yeah. 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 I mean, you hit it. Yeah. And for what? I mean, so this Friday, you look ahead, and it's crazy. It's Oregon opens up as a nine and a half point favorite, yeah. uh, which I, I'm struggling to understand where that nine and a half <laughs> spread's coming from. But uh, heck, I guess they're recognizing how good this Oregon team is, even with that one loss next to their name. But yeah. uh, look, I, I think this rematch they've been looking for all season long. And look, they were only a field goal away earlier in the season. It was at Washington, hostile environment. Uh, not that I think, I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, being able to hear your teammates and communications, it's tough. But besides that, I don't think it has much of an effect on this, had much of an effect on this team. Uh, but I guess now being in a neutral site, in a dome, um, perfect conditions, of course, you know, I, this is an even, play, even playing field. Um, I think that goes into Oregon's favor more than Washington's. Um, and I have, I, you know, I think, I think most predictions and most of the nation is going to be on the duck side here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is definitely the most anticipated game of the weekend as far as the conference championship of the year, if anything, you know, especially after what happened in the first game, you know, it's a rematch from earlier in the year. Oregon lost to Washington 33 to 36. It was a pretty back and forth game. There were seven lead changes during that first match uh, in Seattle. And like I said before, the Ducks played pretty aggressive. It worked well in some scenarios. But since that loss, though, the Ducks are 6-0. For me, what's looked different since the Washington game? The offense has been more effective. They controlled the clock, which is really important. They did it against USC. I mean, they got two touchdowns and just five plays on two different on two different drives. That was really big. I thought that was kind of a key moment for the Oregon offense this season. The defense has done a good job of containing QBs. They did it against uh they did it against Michael Penix, even though they lost in that game, and they also did it against Caleb Williams against USC. I thought that was pretty big. Penalties have been in check somewhat. There's really been there were no penalties against Oregon State, which I thought was huge. I really right. like that was probably the biggest improvement that they made since that Washington game because penalties have just been eating them alive. Even though they've been winning games by a lot of points and they've really been in control the entire time, they still had five, six, sometimes even ten penalties in a game, and it's really just cost them. Dan Lang has said so many times that they need to be more, uh, you know, they they need to remain aggressive, but also need to stay calm and try not to draw those penalties because it can really eat you up, especially come uh, playoff time. They had three against Washington, which isn't too bad, but obviously they can come back and eat you. I mean, for you guys looking ahead to this Friday, what's looked different since the Washington game, and what gives the you know, Oregon, the competitive advantage over Washington. Yeah, I think it's penalties. They've improved there. Uh, that was a big – that was that was the Oregon Achilles seal this, this regular season was penalties. Uh, I think they're healthier this time around on defense. Uh, and we saw guys like Dante Manning last weekend step up. Uh, back against Washington the first time, Tricrez Bridges stepped up big time in that game. That was probably his career game so far as an Oregon Duck. Um, and then Dante Manning last weekend with a good performance coming into this week. Uh, we'll see how much he gets involved again. 
but I look at Washington, uh, you know, ever since they played Oregon, uh, they've struggled in every single game. Yeah. Uh, they've won every game, mm-hmm. but they've struggled against weak teams. Arizona State, bottom of the barrel Pac-12 team, mm-hmm. uh, really were neck and neck until late in the fourth quarter, and they barely etched a win out at home. Uh, only put up 15 points there. Uh, Stanford, they gave up 33 points to a Stanford team that I believe is the second worst offense in the Pac-12. Uh, gave up 42 points to USC. Uh, got a, a good win against Utah. Uh, they struggled against Washington State last weekend. That came down to the very end as well, game-winning mm-hmm. field goal. This team has struggled since playing Oregon. It's kind of like that almost that hangover effect where you go out and you win the the big game of the year, and then you're kind of just you're drained physically, uh, you know, it's early big season game, so the rest of the season you can kind of your, – your morale and mojo kind of can dwindle a little bit. That kind of seems like to me what's happened to Washington. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. Felt like Oregon, they lost that game and they were really mad. Like right. they felt like they outplayed Washington. If you look at the stats, they kind of did, and there's those three fourth downs, a few of those third downs that they convert any one of those, they win that game. They missed that field goal. A lot of people in Eugene think they should have won that game, and everyone on that team thinks so. And as a result of that, Oregon, the rest of the season, they've just gone and kind of just body-bagged teams. And apart from the first half against Washington State, the games have been over at halftime. Like, Oregon hasn't had to worry about that. They're going out there with a chip on their shoulder, and they're saying, we're just the better team. We're going to prove it right now. I mean, the Utah game was over at halftime. Cal was. USC was a little bit close and got hairy at the end, but Arizona State and Oregon State like Oregon came out, proved they were better, the better team and allowed them to kind of, you know, coast to victory, not necessarily, but have easier wins that allowed them to, you know, you know, win and then move on to the next week and continue to just move down the path of potentially making the playoff, getting that rematch. I think you said it well, and that's pretty much what I like about this Oregon team. And I think that's something that they're starting to get recognized nationally was that after that Washington loss, you know, they could have probably just thrown the towel and gone downhill from there. But no, they kept themselves in it because, you know, usually a lot of times in college football, especially with so many good teams, once you get to one loss, it becomes a very slim chance that you're able to make the top four. I mean, obviously, this year is different because five through eight, they all have one loss to this point. But, you know, obviously, you don't have the greatest chance in the world. But Oregon's kept themselves in it. They played really good games. They just come out swinging in every single matchup they've had since that Washington game. And I think, Jonah, like you said, Washington's almost been kind of like on a steady downhill. They've started the season off really well. They beat teams like Michigan State and Cal very comfortably. But then against teams like Arizona State, Stanford, and USC, they just struggled. And these are teams that Oregon took care of business easily. You know, obviously, USC was an easy opponent, but... Washington only beat them by 10, and Oregon didn't really have a problem with them. Same thing with Utah. I mean, Washington only beat them by 7. Oregon beat them by, what was it, 29 points? 35-6. Yeah, 35-6. So you look at these opponents. Same thing with Oregon State, too. Washington only beat Oregon State by 2 points, Mm -hmm. and Oregon was able to hold Oregon State to just 7 points in their match. So you really look at the – obviously, you know, records are a big thing, and Washington being, you know, undefeated like the team they are – you obviously make a case for them to be in, you know, the top 10. But you just look at the schedules and the t- opponents that they played. Oregon, really, besides that Washington game, they've just been more dominant against their opponents. Well, and I think, when we go back to that Oregon State, that game you mentioned at UW, that game, I think, deserved to be really close. In the rain in Corvallis, Oregon State won 16-17 there. I think that is a really good win. Um, I think the the bigger thing, after that Washington game against Oregon, I think Michael Penix got hurt in that game. In some regard, I don't know if you guys saw the clip mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. after the the Apple Cup where he's, you know, in the in the ball tent, not really celebrating the win. Like yeah. clearly, he's hurt after the game. DeBoer's they're not really saying that he's totally fine, but I I think that's a a really big factor in why they have not played as well, and a reason why the spread on Friday's nine and a half is he's clearly not the quarterback he was at the beginning of the season, and you know it's a rib injury, so that's affecting his throws. So I think that's something that really affected the rest of their season and is, is is why everyone's picking Oregon to win this game. Yeah, I mean, he's taken a lot of hits, too. I, I don't think that's something that they realize is that, unlike Bo Nix, Michael Penix, even though he's put up good numbers, he hasn't had the same protection that Bo Nix has had. He's taken a lot of big hits. He took a lot of big hits, too, in that game against Oregon State where the offensive line, they couldn't really keep a grip on the defenders. It was really rainy in Corvallis, just like you said, Liam. So Michael Penix has taken a lot of hits this year, 
And I think, like you said, yeah, it's kind of affected the way he's played, the way he's able to just, you know, use, you know, kind of keep the tempo up when they're on offense. They're still in a pretty explosive offense, obviously. We got Romo Dunze, got a couple other guys that he's been able to throw to. So he's still a pretty dominant quarterback. But I think, like you said, too, the fact that he's taken so many hits and that something is clearly not, you know, he's not entirely healthy, I think is definitely a big factor into, yeah, why Oregon's open to nine and a half right now over Washington. Well, and Go ahead. I think you mentioned Romo Dunze, and, you know, a, a lot of the other players really have kind of disappeared. I mean, Jalen McMillan was hurt, and Polk didn't have a catch against Washington State. Yeah, I think that's a really big area of concern for them is Odunze's going to put up 120 yards and probably catch a touchdown or two against Oregon, and they know that, and that's something they need to accept. But if Oregon can limit everyone else, they're going to have a really good shot of winning that game. But it's if all those other players are all putting up big games like they did against Oregon and Seattle that first time, that's where it gets worrisome. But if it's just Odunze, like, it's not great, but something Oregon can live with. Yeah, and what last point on Michael Penix that I want to make is obviously we know he can sling the ball around. He's got a great arm, and he's confident in his arm. But we, what I've noticed the last – ever since Oregon and, and especially this back half of the season for Washington and watching Michael Penix, he loves the 50-50 ball. He loves the one-on-ones downfield, um, and he takes those shots. And it's kind of hurt him late in the season. Uh, his completion percentage has gone way down. Uh, he's had a couple games where he's been right around that 50% marker per game, uh, including last weekend where he was 18 of 33, uh, so just over that 50% marker, uh, but had an interception in that game, just barely had 200 yards passing. Uh, he loves the 50-50 ball. I think – I don't know – I don't feel confident in that's going to work against Oregon. Uh, Oregon does a great job on man coverage. They've gotten better and better this season. Um, and, and really, Oregon's got – the better defense period between them and Washington. Um, and so I, I think just all things ever since the first matchup between these two, I think the all signs point towards Oregon as, yeah, they had the one loss, but when you look at it in depth, I think most people believe Oregon's a better team. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely been kind of the narrative up to this point is that when you look on paper, you can see that Washington is the better team. But if you look closer to game by game, you watch the replays, you look at the post-game interviews, you could tell that Oregon wants it more, right. that they're a much more complete team. They've been playing up to a, just a whole nother level compared to all of the other college football teams, especially in the top ten. I mean, some people were saying even, too, that if Oregon didn't lose that game against Washington, there would be talks right now of they being the number one team in the country up there with Georgia and Michigan. Yeah. That, that That's just how good they're playing. But obviously, you lose to Washington, you have that one loss on your record, and it just bumps you down a few spots. But, yeah, I agree. I think kind of the narrative right now is that Oregon is heavily favored just because they are the better team this year, even though Washington has the better record. They've just been playing more complete. Uh, you know, looking ahead, game on Friday, 5 o'clock kickoff. Osnoda, sorry, Ryan Milano and Osnoda are going to be on the call here on 88.1. Uh, for you guys, I mean, looking at both sides of the ball, what's going to be the difference? Is it going to be the offense, really, or is it going to be the defense for the Ducks? Uh, defense. Uh, just because I think Oregon will have no problem being able to score on this defense. I think it's going to come down to if they can contain uh, all those offensive weapons that Washington has. And depending on how hurt Michael Penix is, um, seeing if this Oregon defensive line can get pressure on Penix. Yeah, the game is likely to come down to a few plays like it did in Seattle. I think Oregon's on both sides of the ball, they're a lot better, but I think their defense is a lot more confident and have a lot, a lot of the players have a time to develop, and they have a lot of guys, especially in that front seven, that they can just rotate out and bring freshmen in and really attack Michael Penix the entire game and force him, you know, make back foot throws, throws that are 50-50 balls, and Oregon has the secondary you know, players to make plays on the ball and really prevent those really big plays that hurt them in Seattle. Yeah, i got to agree with both of you guys. I, I think the defense is really going to be the difference in this game because you look at the last matchup, I mean, it was one of the only times this season that Oregon gave up more than 30 points. They gave up 36 to Washington. The offense played a really good game. They had a lot of good opportunities. Bo Nix made a lot of good throws, uh, especially outside the pocket. But really, yeah, it's going to be the defense, and can they contain Michael Penix? Also think that the Ducks just need to play a complete game in Hull. It's what they did against Oregon State. Dan Lanning really preached it in this postgame press conference that it was one of the first few games of the year that Oregon really played a four-quarter game. A lot of times, especially in those first couple games against Stanford, against Colorado, it took them a minute to kind of get into a rhythm, and then by the second and third quarter, they just started tacking on the points or 
close to the end of the game, they really were just kind of slugging a little bit towards the finish line and didn't have that same energy as they started the game with. But against Oregon State, like Dan Lang said, just a really complete game overall. Like I said, the defense needs to contain Penix and Odunze, take away opportunities, and, you know, we keep saying it, stay aggressive, but be smart. They can take risk, especially on fourth down, but if it comes down to the end of the game, you kind of almost need to look at what you did in the previous game against Washington and why they end up losing that game. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk some Oregon volleyball, and then later on, we're going to talk some college football rankings. The new rankings came out tonight. Going to be pretty excited to dissect those. Keep it here on 88.1 KWVA, Eugene. KWVA. KWVA. I checked my voter registration online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you. Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow. I'm going to hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? This message is brought to you by the Oregon Elections Division. For more information, go to OregonVotes.gov. Dolly Parton's Imagination Library is dedicated to inspiring a love of reading. The organization achieves this by gifting books free of charge to children from birth to age five. The program spans five countries and gifts over one million free books each month to children around the world. If you want your child to receive free books, visit imaginationlibrary.com to check out availability in your area. Imagination Library. Ah. This is Travis Tyke, former assistant sports director at KWVA. Cheers. You're listening to Quack Smack. Welcome back to Quack Smack here on 88.1. Saul Galvan, Jonah Bruneau, and Liam Baker. We just talked some Oregon football. Now let's get into some Oregon volleyball because football is not the only one pl- starting their postseason this weekend. It's also Oregon volleyball. Uh, they finished their season with a win over Oregon State on Saturday. They won three sets to nothing. And now they're going to be hosting the first and second rounds of the regional. Oregon faces Southern Eastern Louisiana on Thursday. And if they win that game... They will play the winner of either Iowa State or Hawaii on Friday. Now, Uretsky and Brody Napier will be on the call for the Oregon games. Tune into 88.1 for that coverage. Uh, but, but let's get right into it. I, You know, home court advantage that Oregon had last year. Ducks hosted the regional. They beat LMU first round, then Arkansas in the second round. Played seven sets between both games. So the Ducks were pretty much in control. They went on to Nebraska in the third round in Louisville, then ultimately lost to Louisville the number one seed as part of the bracket. By the way, it was also crazy to see that Nebraska was number three seed, even though they're the number one team last year, but now they are going to be the number one team this year. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty competitive game, though, against Louisville. Three to two. Oregon won sets two and three, then dropped four and five. But the environment, though, let's let's go back to the regional. The environment was rocking at Matt Knight. I was there for both games. It was just a crazy environment. Definitely what is going to be needed this weekend. But even for a team as good as Oregon, and they've really bounced back the second half of the season after, I wouldn't even say a shaky first half of the season, but they had a few key losses in those first, in kind of the first half of the season against conference opponents. But they've really picked it up since then. But even for a team as good as Oregon and the, where they're ranked right now in the bracket, how important for you guys is home court advantage? It's huge. Um, you mentioned the Rockets crowd last year, and that plays a massive effect. In a team, especially like Southeastern Louisiana, who is not nearly in the same ballpark as you know playing in front of that many people during a match, and so uh, it, that can be super intimidating for a, a smaller school like that. Um, and that's where Oregon's adva- Oregon's advantage comes in. 
Look, you saw earlier this year, even in this season, uh, Oregon has set records for women's volleyball attendance inside MKA. Um, it's been a great season for Oregon. Um, I think they're right there where they were last year. Uh, but it's funny, they have five losses this season. Three of those have come at home. So just a little something to keep in mind. But, uh, yeah, I think I'd still advantage Oregon. I mean, whenever you can host a regional is is crucial. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's very similar to, like, when a women's basketball team gets to host those first two rounds. They often, you know, more often than not, that team comes out with the victory. It's really, really big. You know, you look at the teams that are traveling your south, like Louisiana, Iowa, Hawaii. They're, they're traveling really far. It's a different time zone to an Oregon team that's been very dominant against teams they should beat all year. The, those losses at home, two really, really good teams, Washington State, Stanford, and Arizona State, I believe. Teams that, you know, Oregon has a chance to beat them, but they're really tough matches. But when Oregon plays those teams that they should beat, like Southeastern Louisiana and potentially Hawaii or Iowa State, they tend to do really well. And I think that home the home court advantage is only going to help them with that. It's a good point to make. And obviously, you know, Oregon, they finished at number six. That was their where they finished at in the AVCA rankings uh, final spot this year. And it's a good point to say that, yeah, I mean, even though they have some losses on their record this year, they weren't against opponents that they should they shouldn't they should have won. It was all opponents that were ranked. It was teams like Stanford, Arizona State, Washington State, teams that were ranked ahead of them. And even then, those were pretty tough matches. But I agree. I mean, Oregon is definitely the favorite, especially not just because they're hosting, but also because they are the best team in this first and second round of the regional. But but let's kind of take a look at you know these these opponents. Like I said, they're going to be taking on Southeastern Louisiana in the first round. Oregon favored in the first round. But Southeastern Louisiana, they're not having a bad season. 28-4 record, 17-1 Southland Conference play. They beat LSU early in the season. LSU is not exactly a, a high-powered team in the SEC as far as volleyball rankings. But to go out and be SEC team, it's still pretty impressive, especially a team like LSU. They ended their season on a 22-game winning streak. The last loss was against Northwestern State on September 14th. It, to me, the Ducks should get by in the first round. I, I think, especially like you said, Liam, it's they're really they're favored in this game, and they've done well against teams that they've been favored against this year. And the home court advantage is only going to do it. Yeah, and I think you know, like I said, a smaller program, but having haven't had a loss since September. Uh, that does a lot for your morale. It gives you a lot of confidence going in. That makes you think as a team that you can go, the sky's the limit for you. Even if it is against you know a top 10 team in the nation like Oregon, um, you, you feel like you can go out and win any night. And I'm sure that's what this team's feeling. Uh, but look, Oregon, I think it's just too much. you got three players that had over 300 kills this year, one being over 400 and Mimi Collier, of course. Uh, that is, is super impressive. Um, not many teams can say that. So, um, it's just, you know, it's, I think Southeastern Louisiana, it's definitely, you know, it's a tournament matchup. You can't just look past it and say, oh yeah, Oregon should be a breeze. Hey, still a tournament matchup. Every matchup is, is crucial. And I, I think when you do see those really big upsets across all collegiate sports, it's, it's a team that plays really good defense that allows them to pull that upset. And, you know, Oregon is that team that plays really, really good defense. They're they're top ten, they're tenth in the country in opposing hit percentage at at point one five six. So it's going to be tough for South or Southeastern Louisiana to generate a lot of offense against a team like Oregon. And even if Oregon isn't having their best day hitting wise and on offense, they have that defense to anchor them and really will allow them to potentially mask mistakes that they could make on the offensive side because of how dominant they have been on defense yeah I like I like how you brought up the defense because it's it's almost like football you know the offense gets a lot of credit for Oregon but really the defense for this volleyball team you know they're kind of in the shadows but they've been doing a lot of the grunt work pretty much to get these big bigger wins uh, and really in the conference but you know looking ahead if they do beat southern eastern Louisiana on Thursday they will play either Iowa State or Hawaii on on Friday and looking at these two opponents we'll start off with Iowa State 20-9, and nine, they're not in the top 25, but they've been pretty close. They've gotten a lot of votes in the rankings. Some of the key wins they had this year, number 18, Baylor, number 14, Kansas, and number 21, Houston. So they've had a lot of top 25, a good amount of top 25 wins. Some key stats, though, you know, pretty similar numbers compared to Oregon. 250 service errors, 151 aces, about 100 fewer kills in Oregon. And then, you know, looking at Hawaii, 23-8, and eight, key wins against USC and Florida State, and then kind of same numbers as Oregon. Really, you look at these two teams, Iowa State and Hawaii, they have, 
you know, they kind of match up similar to what Oregon's been playing this year. Obviously, Oregon has the better record, but they Hawaii and Iowa State have gone against some key opponents. But for you guys, you know, if Oregon were to move on, what opponent do you think would be more difficult, Iowa State or Hawaii? Uh, I would just say just off track record, Iowa State. You mentioned those three games that they have wins against top 25 teams. Uh, that just, I mean, and Hawaii has zero, so um, they haven't even played a, a top 25 team this season. So you kind of have to go and lean towards the Cyclones. I will say, though, they've played nine total top 25 matchups. Uh, six of them, those other six, uh, they have lost. So they're three and six against top 25 teams this season. That favors Oregon. Uh, but they do have three wins against top 25. So I think Iowa State would be the tougher matchup for Oregon than Hawaii. Uh, but Hawaii in its own right, you mentioned two Power 5 uh, wins for them this season. A pretty solid record as well in the win-loss category. Uh, both would be, have their own, you know, their own, I guess they stack up well against Oregon in their own rights, but I think Iowa State would have the advantage. Yeah, I would agree. They're a Power 5 program. They've played a lot of stiffer competition, and the Big 12 has a lot of talented volleyball teams. Texas is one of them. That's always one of the best. So they've played those teams. They've had those tests that if they go down a set to Oregon right away or they're, they're going back and forth, they have the ability to bounce back and fight. Whereas Hawaii, Hawaii's a team that, you know, they make the tournament very frequently. I think they're, they're on a pretty long tournament stretch um, and they have that tournament experience, but Iowa State's a power five team. They, they're a big, a big time program in a, in a big conference that just has the experience to pretend per, presents more difficulties for Oregon if they get into a, a fight there. It's not even just that they're a Power 5 school, but also you look at Hawaii, Oregon played them earlier in the year, and Oregon really didn't struggle against them. They won three sets of nothing. The right. game was pretty much held in check the entire time by the Ducks, and even though it was early in the season, you know, Oregon has been playing better than they were in, you know, the first couple weeks of the season. So, you know, even though this is a different Duck team and Hawaii's played them before, you know, I think Oregon can still, you know, be dominant as they were against Hawaii this time around. But but I do agree. I think Iowa State will definitely be the tougher opponent. You know, it's going to be interesting to see who wins because I think Hawaii and Iowa State match up pretty evenly. But whoever wins that game, I definitely think that it could be a good opponent for Oregon. Uh, last question before we move on to some college football rankings. What's kind of one area that this team need to improve on in the regional round to go far in the rest of the tournament? Because, like, for me, you know, service errors have been key this entire year. Right. They, they only had nine against Oregon State, but they had 15 against Stanford, their second match when they lost to Stanford in Palo Alto. And, you know, we've been talking about it all year that for service errors, you know, they can kill you or they can't. But when you go against top ranked opponents, especially in the NCAA tournament, they're going to kill you. And most likely, if Oregon moves on from the regional round, they're going to be playing top teams like Washington and Nebraska, or Wisconsin and Nebraska. Against those teams that are number one, number two, number three in the rankings, teams that are above Oregon at at six right now, service errors you just can't have them. You know, obviously you're going to have maybe one or two, but you look at the numbers from some of these higher teams. Sometimes they don't even have one. I, there were a couple games in Nebraska had zero service errors, and that just shows you that they're the number one team. For Oregon, you know. You know, what, in your guys' opinion, what area does this team need to improve on? Yeah, I think you, I was going to say the errors, attack errors as well. Um, you, like, you know, Mimi Collier, of course, she's the most prolific player on this team with 407 kills, but she has close to 200 attack errors at 183. Um, I think the errors is the, the pivotal part. And that, that's where uh, they can shoot themselves in their own foot is really they stack up against these teams early in this tournament. Uh, they're the better team talent-wise and on paper. Uh but where they can shoot themselves in their own foot is through the errors. And so um, if they can clean that up, you mentioned the service errors as well. If they can clean that up, then it sh they should be fine. Should be, you know, a three or four set win for Oregon. Yeah, I think something that plays into those errors, and this is, not, this is something that necessarily need to, to work on, but it's they need to get off on the right foot. They need to win the first set. When Oregon yeah. wins the first set, they haven't mm -hmm. lost. They're 24-0. Yep. They, they need that to get going and, and play well in that first set. And that goes to serving well, you know, hitting the, those attack chances well and not having those just unforced errors that allow teams, that, especially early on in the tournament, that they should beat. And you have those errors that let them back in, and it becomes a, a match that becomes a lot more tense, especially in those early rounds that those teams that Oregon's playing, they don't have anything to lose where Oregon really has everything to lose. And if Oregon's able to win that first set, it gives them just so much more momentum 
to really put away those teams that they should beat. Whereas when they lose the first set, they're three and five, and is it really just spells disaster from there. And I'll give credit. Let's give credit to Southeastern Louisiana. Last point here, uh, they're tied for 18th in the whole nation in total team kills. So I mean, that can't can't go unheard or just ignored. That that's really impressive. Yeah, it's really impressive. And, and you know, going back to Liam's point, I, I think that's really key because. You know, for me, the other point, too, is that Oregon really needs to finish and just not let up in any set. Haven't really seen it much this year. Maybe against Cal when they won 3-2, to two, took it to five sets against an opponent that really it shouldn't have been five sets. But you look at last year when they went on to play Louisville, they won sets 2-3, and three, but then they dropped 4-5. and five, And really, that's not something that they can do moving on through the NCAA tournament because, like I said, these opponents are just not going to let up. They're going to make it a five-set game no matter what. But if, like you said, Liam, if they could take the first set in the majority of these playoff games that are coming up, they give themselves the best advantage to win. And I think that's really going to be key for the Ducks coming up. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to talk some college ball rankings. The new rankings were released tonight just before conference championship weekend. Oh, we're going to have some fun talking about this. Keep it right here at 88.1 Quack Smack when we come back. KWVA. 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 America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having play dates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual play dates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Did you stretch your legs? Did you get a snack? Great! Then let's get back to Quack Smack right here on KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM. Welcome back to Quack Smack here on 88.1. Saul Galvan, Jonah Bruno, and Liam Baker. So we talked some Oregon football. We talked some Oregon volleyball. Both going to be starting their postseason campaign. And now we're going to get some college football rankings. The Whoa. new rankings. Oh, I know, Jonah, you're excited Whoa. for this one. It's shivering for it's shivering <laughs> in your boots. I know that's well, what, both that and because it's also freezing. It yeah, is a little cold in here. We're, we're going to talk to Come the on. maintenance guy about that, about getting the heat going on here. But, but anyways, let's get back to the college football rankings. The new rankings were just released a couple hours ago. In case you haven't gotten a chance to list them, I'm going to list off the top 10 right here. Georgia at 1, Michigan at 2, Washington at 3, Florida State at 4, Oregon at 5, Ohio State at 6, Texas at 7, Alabama at 8, Missouri at 9, and Penn State at 10. Now, you guys have both had a couple hours to kind of sit with it. We'll start off with this. Any surprises to you guys so far as far as the top 10? Because the top 10 at this point is really what matters going into conference championship weekend no i think it's it's about right um the two things i was most intrigued by was how far ohio state was going to fall yes yes and where florida state was going to sit mm-hmm. um florida state's tricky because they're, they're <laughs> it, it's it's hard because they're undefeated so it's hard to dock them but they're kind of like a speed bump in this whole thing because jordan travis is out for the year backup quarterbacks now taking over and rudemaker who struggled mightily against Florida last weekend. So really you look at them and they're like they're I think it's pretty clear to see that they're not the better team when it comes to like Oregon or Bama or Washington even. Um 
but they they're undefeated. So how do you put a different team ahead of them? Uh, it's tricky, but I, I think I think it's pretty right. I, I wouldn't change too much. Yeah, I agree. Florida State's it's a weird one. You could make an argument that the top fifteen teams in in the the rankings would potentially beat them, and also they're undefeated. And if they win against Louisville, they sh- need to be in the playoff. And that's just kind of how how it works. And it's you know could be potentially unfortunate with other teams potentially being more deserving, but it's it's just kind of the committee's hands are tied. The thing that's interesting to me is that Ohio State is still at six, mm. and it it you makes think it should have been lower. It's it's interesting because, you know, I think it works there that you could argue they're better than Texas and Alabama, and I guess it's weird because does that mean if Texas beats Oklahoma State, do they make it over Ohio State? Like I, I think mm. if if Bama mm. if Bama beats Georgia, yeah. they're likely in. But that's what's weird is. Why are they below te- or above Texas and, uh, and Alabama? And I think Bama and, and Texas, if they win, would jump them. But it's weird that Oregon is ahead of them and the other two schools are not, which I think is really good for Oregon, which yeah. shows that you know Oregon is clearly better than Ohio State, or they, the committee thinks so, and Texas and Alabama, which means they beat Washington, they should be in. Yeah, I got to agree. I'm really surprised that Ohio State kind of jumped down to six. I I still think that they are above Texas and Alabama because you look at it a couple years ago when Michigan won kind of this first the first of the, the three consecutive wins over Ohio State. It was the same thing where Ohio State was at two, but they only jumped they only dropped down to four. They still made the college football playoff even though they lost against Michigan, but now they drop all the way to six, which I mean, obviously if you're an Oregon fan is pretty good because now Oregon jumps up to five. And I think, like you said, Florida State, it's just a really weird position because no Jordan Travis. And, you know, they won a very close game against Florida, but Florida hasn't been the same. And even though they're undefeated, they're still at number four right now, but they just haven't looked like a team that should be in the top four. And a lot of people would argue that that Oregon should be over them, Texas should be over them, even Alabama should be over them. And, you know, now even Ohio State, too. If Florida State loses, it's almost like who do you who do you let in? Obviously, if Oregon wins their Pac-12 championship, a lot of people are saying that they're going to get in that number four spot. If Florida State loses, if Texas beats Oklahoma State, they might get in as well. If Alabama beats Georgia, I mean, that's the X factor in the whole thing. Mm. That's where I think that's the biggest. With besides the Oregon game, because that's that's basically winning you're in. I think. But that Alabama game, if they were to beat Georgia, that throws a wrench in everything because then you have Bama could hop over four teams and get in. Well, yeah. I, that's the nightmare scenario for the pl- right. like, for the committee because it's right. like how do you leave Georgia out? But really, Texas should be above Bama. They beat them exactly. But how do you move Bama up four spots and then what do you do with the Pac-12 and? Yeah, like, I mean, because that, that's it, well, the tricky one. It's almost good too that Washington got to the number three spot because if Oregon wins, I, I'm not saying that Oregon can jump to number three, but knowing that there's a Pac-12 team at number three right now, it gives the Oregon, it gives Oregon a chance to jump up to number three if they're able to win against Washington. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Alabama, like you said, Jonah, is kind of the X factor because they're 11 and one, but if they beat the number one team in the nation. It's almost kind of a guarantee that you're going to get in at that point because once you be the number one team in the nation, especially since they're going to have the same record as Georgia, Georgia will probably drop down to three or four, and then Alabama will jump into that last spot. Well, I, I think if Oregon wins, they're they're, they're definitely going to be three. I, I think you 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 have to you have to put Florida State in, but you don't have to put them above. They don't have to be the third unranked, the no loss team. You can put teams with one loss ahead of them. And I think that would be the case. Is is Oregon, if if they had no losses, they'd be above Florida State. And with a win over Washington, that makes gives them the jump to go over them, and still puts Florida State at at that four. So I think if they win, they'll be four no matter what. So so okay. So if Bama were to beat Georgia, what's your top four? Go. If Bama were to beat Georgia, I would probably put Michigan, mm-hmm. Georgia, at two. At two. Oregon if they win, and then Bama at four. Now, the reason is because I'm not sure if Oregon's going to be able to jump up to that number two spot. No. And and honestly, the way that Georgia is right now, even if they lose that game, there's a good chance that they're only going to drop down one or two spots. Michigan will obviously take 
the one. the number one spot if they can be Iowa, which I mean obviously they're favored right now, and usually they they do good in the Big Ten championship. Iowa can't score. Yeah, I, Iowa <laughs> Iowa's offense has not been historically bad. Yeah, it's been historically bad. The defense has been good, but it's been historically bad, especially against Michigan. They played two years ago when Michigan made the Big Ten championship after the first time they beat Ohio State in Ann Arbor, and they took care of business against Iowa. Uh, in Indianapolis. But, yeah, I think for me the top four, if Alabama wins, it would be uh, Michigan, Georgia, Oregon if they win, and then Alabama at four. Liam? See, I disagree a lot with that. I think <laughs> one, one I think mean? it matters how Alabama wins. Okay. If it's a if it's a one score game and Alabama wins on a last second field goal, that's where it gets. If Bama blows out Georgia, Georgia's out. Yeah. Like. Uh, they so you, th- you think Georgia's out? If, if they, they get blown out by Alabama, I think they're out. So you're saying that Georgia would like potentially if Florida State wins, if Washington wins, uh, sorry, if, if Florida State wins, if Oregon wins, and Michigan wins, you're saying that Georgia drops out. So say I think a Pac-12 Pac-12 team is one of the spots. Michigan wins, Florida State wins, Texas blows out Oklahoma State, and Bama blows out Georgia. Who do you leave out? Yeah, I think I think that's the weird one is. E- I think you, you got to leave you, out in that fray that you just listed. You got to leave out Texas. But I, why should Georgia be in? Like I get they've won twenty nine games in a row and they are the number one team. And the committee's always said conference championships matter. And if you get blown out by to the number eight team, I don't think you should make it. And I think Georgia fans yeah. would be mad. But I think there's too many good teams and uh, teams that are qualified this year in the top eight. That you have, I think the unless things go crazy and Louisville wins and yeah. Oklahoma State wins, like Georgia needs to win that game or at least lose a really close game and get a little bit of help. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you're, so you're saying blown out? I, I think if I it's think, a 14 point game and 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 granted, I think Georgia's gonna destroy Alabama. Well, I will say too the the way that the rankings are right now, it does give a little more leeway to. Having an opponent from at least one of the you know uh, five conferences, uh, obviously one gets left out. But with the Ohio State dropping down to six, now you're going to have an SEC champion. You're going to have the Big Ten championship, most likely the Pac-12 champion, and then the ACC championship. But I mean, you look at these games, and we we talked about Alabama and Georgia a lot. You know, Alabama they've been playing some pretty good football of late. They barely beat Auburn though. They haven't really been the the Alabama team that we've seen in previous years. I still give Georgia the, the edge, but the other game we've been looking at too is the the Florida State Louisville because if you're a Duck fan, you're watching that one closely, hoping that Louisville can win that one. And honestly, I think right now Louisville does have a good shot of beating Florida State. Like Jonas said, there's no Jordan Travis. You have your uh, backup quarterback Rodemaker in Trey Benson. He did pretty well against Florida this weekend, but I think that Louisville, the way that they've been playing, they could definitely beat Florida State. I, I th- go ahead. I think the only game. As an Oregon fan, that matters is the SEC championship game. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. And the big one. I think that's if you're one. not, if you're a Texas fan, fan or an Oklahoma or Ohio State fan, you're you're like Louisville, please win. I think the just college football fan of me wants Florida State to lose because I think the playoff will be more fun yeah. without them in it. And I think they're a great team, and just without Jordan Travis, the the excitement is really isn't there with them. See, it's like, yeah, how much of the factor is that that Jordan Travis isn't in? Like, is the committee going to take if, that into effect if Florida State wins, knowing that Jordan Travis won't be in the in you know the playoffs? Because obviously, I mean, that would have changed things a lot. You know, Florida State would have been a completely different team had Jordan Travis played last week and is playing this weekend. But yeah, yeah it's going to be a good point. I, it's going to be really interesting to see. I A lot of times, usually after the – uh, final week, the top four is almost kind of solidified because it's usually all the conference championships. But the way it's set up right now, the top eight teams all have a chance to get in, and yeah. it's really just going to be interesting to see who gets in, pretty well, much. And, and my last point before we go off here, you gotta you gotta put into play the the committee's kind of SEC bias that we've been accustomed to when it comes to Alabama and Georgia. Yeah. I think if Bama were to win, I think both of them get in. Yeah, that's just me. I just think the bias comes into play. They want that revenue, that money revenue that comes in with those schools. Um, so you got to keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Well, boys, it's been a fun it's show. Been a good one. Been a good show. Yeah, I had we, fun. I we had talked about we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Busy weekend though for here on KWA 88.1 Eugene Thursday. Now Yuretsky, Brody Napier are going to be on the call for Oregon Volleyball. And then if they win, they're going to be on the call again on Friday. They're taking on Southeastern Louisiana on Thursday. And then if they win, they will take on either Iowa State 
or Hawaii. And then Friday, Pac-12 Championship. Ryan Milano, Ryan Milano Austin Oda going to be on the call in Las Vegas. Kickoff is set for 5 o'clock. But that's going to do it all here for today's episode of Quack Smack. Austin Oda will be on for tomorrow, but that is going to be all for tonight.